0: Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from 1st Naz Podcast. When Jesus spoke against repetitious prayers uh, in, in, I think it was in Matthew's Gospel, um, he very clearly pointed out that there were a group of people who thought that um, their gods couldn't hear them or didn't care enough to pay attention, and so they would just bug them, Say 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 it and 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 say it, until finally the God would condescend Give his attention. But Jesus taught us that we say, Our Father, and we have his attention. And when we call out, Oh, our Lord, the Spirit that quick moves right in and says, Yeah, I'm listening. And so, from week to week, as we breathe out these praises to him, we have the confidence that the Holy Spirit of God is in attendance and listening. I'm pleased to see that you left room for him on the front two rows right over here. You can sit wherever he likes. Right? Yeah. Um, I'm glad to be back. It was good to, to take a, a little bit of a mini vacation last week, kind of a working vacation because I ended up... Uh, doing a wedding rehearsal and then a wedding and then uh, led worship back at Whitefish Church of the Nazarene. They were desperate. uh, That's exactly the way the pastor put it to me. He said all, all their worship team was gone to their district assembly, which happens over the weekend in Billings, and his backups were gone too, and he had absolutely nowhere to turn but me. (laughs) so he asked, and um, I I got to go worship with some old friends of mine, but I am so glad to be back here with you, with my church family today. And uh, I led worship here today because Lisa Asker is just um, under it, okay? Those of you who know Lisa, and I think if you were here last week, she kind of spoke to it, that her dad is in his last some number of days here on earth. And so she and the family are having a, a very long watch with him and very much enjoying the time that remains. But you know how that goes too. Lots of us have walked this path, right, with our parents and grandparents. And so Lisa wisely just said, I, I need to rest. And there's something holy and beautiful about that, isn't there? You know what also would be holy and beautiful is if you contacted her and told her that you were praying for her and her family. And that, so, if you want to pull out your phones and do that right now, it won't, it won't um, bother me in the least. Plus, you're going to need them to be able to turn to the scriptures. We're going to look at a handful of those today. Uh, we're going to continue this series that we've been working on since, uh, since early in the spring, just kind of back up. Last fall, October through December, we learned about the Holy Spirit, truly kind of the, the forgotten part of the Godhead. Christians talk about Jesus a lot, and we, we cry out to the Father a lot. And then, I don't know, half afraid of what the Holy Spirit might do as we read the New Testament. We, we tend to keep him at arm's length a little bit. And so last fall, we decided that we should probably learn a lot about him and learn to know him. And so we spent 10, 12 weeks together together. Coming to know this Holy Spirit that we that we cry out to and, and welcome into our hearts and lives. And then um, you know, Christmas came and then this spring, and now we've been we've been working since since late in the spring on the issue of the fundamentals of the faith. Because we realize the championship teams are built by drilling. And um, mastering the real fundamentals, whether, whether it's a sport that you're talking about. I've reminded you many times of the great Green Bay Packers dynasty uh, under the leadership of Vince Lombardi. And on his very first day, he sat in front of a group of professional football players, held up a football and said, gentlemen, this is a football Because he was going to start with the most basic truth of that game, and they were going to master the fundamentals, blocking, tackling, running, catching, no flashy plays, no tricks. We'll just do the basics better than anybody else, and we'll win, and they did. The church in America is not exactly on a winning streak, has not been for quite some time. And it's probably because we have resorted to trick plays and flash and tried to focus on all those things and have forgotten the basics, the fundamentals, the real foundation stones. And so um, those things really are the solid ground under our feet. And that's why we have returned there this summer, so that we can find solid ground under us, something good and sturdy that we can push off of as we advance the kingdom of Jesus. So we've talked uh, about one of the expressions of those fundamentals. One of the simplest and shortest and most well known is, is called the Apostles' Creed. There is some indication that parts of it may have been in existence during the first Christian century, before the first Christians were dead. They were, they were kind of creeding, they were kind of saying some things repeatedly as an answer to the question what is it that you believe? We do have written forms of, of the creed from as early as 140 AD, and by the time the year 700 came along, it was, it was mostly in the form that we have come to recognize it. But I want to ask you today if you believe, um, I want to ask you all to stand with me, and if you believe to confess this historic faith with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Now we've got brackets on this next part. If you were here a few weeks ago, you'll remember that he descended into hell thing. Kind of tricky. But Christians have confessed this for years. So I didn't feel like I should be the one bright guy who says, yeah, but we don't. I know better than the rest. We don't need that any longer. But take note. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from thence, he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Remember our no-freaking-out policy Catholic just means all the Christians. It's the universal church. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, this thing's supposed to have a crescendo. That last page, you should end up shouting by the end of it because it's the great hope of the Christian church and of all of the Christians. But as we've worked our way through this, we've talked about God the Father Almighty as a, as a creator and all the ways that you can view the business of creation, but it still comes down to this. There is a God who existed long before anything else. In fact, he's eternal. He's existed for all of time. And everything else that exists was created by him, by an act of gracious love. We talked about his son, Jesus Christ, the real linchpin of the whole Christian faith We are not a people who simply believe in a creator or a higher power. We do not simply believe in one who started processes, but who sits in some corner of the universe. We believe that God is so interested in the human beings that he created that he came and and dove right into the creation and, and... took on himself humanity so that he could experience life in this broken, sinful, diseased, hurtful, painful, frustrating world and know exactly what you and I are going through day in and day out. He didn't play the God card Philippians tells us, Jesus said he emptied himself, said that he didn't didn't consider equality with God something that he would hold on to. He really did this as a human, still retaining his godhood. We talked about what he did for us in living a life as an example. And then when none of us followed it, he said, I'll take the punishment for everybody who ever deserved to be punished and offered himself as a sacrifice, offering himself as a sacrifice Accomplishing something that no, no animal sacrifice could ever, ever accomplish. And now we come to this phrase, I believe in the holy who? The Holy Spirit. If you were with us last fall, you remember I said, I don't, I don't understand God because of Scooby-Doo. Right? Because Scooby-Doo always had this ghost every episode that would oh, float around and give the kids trouble. And at the end, he found out it wasn't a ghost, but some bad adult who was masquerading as a ghost trying to get by with some crime. And I was left going, oh, huh. A little bit afraid as a little kid. My mom said, don't worry, honey, ghosts aren't real. And then I went to church and my pastor said something in the name of the father and of the son. And of the Holy Ghost. I leaned over to mom. Hey, you said there's no ghosts. And she goes, oh, this one's nice. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Thanks, mom. A little more to it than that. Yeah. No, mom did good. Mom did good because she taught me not to be afraid. But to invite his Holy Spirit to come close and to come and live in me. And so today, I want to talk to you about who the Holy Spirit is. I'm not going to re-preach that whole series from last fall, but there's some things that I think every person who uh, considers himself or herself a follower of Jesus, or anybody who's considering the whole God, Christianity, Jesus, religion thing, wondering if maybe this might fit you, uh, there's some things that you need to know about the Spirit of God. And um, today and next week, I want to talk about those things Uh, today. I think it's first very uh, important that we clear up this this one thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, by that I don't mean a human being, but a, a person a personage. And the reason that I think that's really important is because of one movie. I talked to you about a television franchise that was very successful. There is a movie franchise that was also very successful over the course of my lifetime. In 1976, I went to the Lee Theater in Harrisonville, Missouri, and I saw the first Star Wars, and it was Awesome. There were, I mean, all the things that I dreamed we would have by the year 2000, right? Flying cars and strange beasties roaming the earth. Uh, And then somebody in the middle of it, who seemed to be a good guy, looked at another guy who seemed to be a good guy and said, the force be with you. And everybody in the crowd who'd never heard that before, because it was, you know, the moment in movie history. went, oh, And uh, it was the 70s, and we quit saying things like peace to one another, and we said instead, the force be with you, and we sounded really cool. Yeah, yeah. And so because of that, I think the Holy Spirit has kind of been uh, misunderstood as this vague, impersonal force for good that you can't really come to understand, you can't really know, but you kind of hope it happens to you. And that, my friends, is the stuff of movie magic and script writing, not the stuff of scripture and of Christian experience. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, theologically speaking, the Holy Spirit has been eternally coexistent with the Father and the Son. When we studied about Jesus, we learned that he, too, had existed from the very beginning, from before the beginning of, of earth and all creation. God the Father and God the Son had existed together for all of eternity. They are eternal beings. Guess what? The Holy Spirit, too. The Holy Spirit is not an add on to the Godhead. He is part and parcel of what it means when we say there is a God. He is a person, and it means that He also has a personality. Uh, he's referred to a number of times in the scripture, and, and Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 talks about Jesus coming and doing what he did, living in obedience to the Father all his life long and laying down his life as a sacrifice. And Hebrews 9:14 says that he did that by the power of the eternal spirit. That Jesus, the man, came and, and struggled underneath the load of living in obedience to God and, and carrying out that great sacrifice that he knew was going to be so painful. Instead of relying upon himself, he relied upon and accessed the power of the eternal spirit, of the spirit of God himself. And this spirit isn't... Ooh, he's a person that Jesus got to know and who you can get to know, a person, not a force, and he has a personality. And uh, if you just Google uh, Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ, uh, Spirit of the Lord, you will literally read for all the rest of the day, because he shows up all throughout the Christian scriptures, and we don't have time to review all of those. But I want to tell you, just a few things about his personality before we move on. These things, I'll tell you, come from the scriptures and from my personal experience. I have found the Spirit of God to be incredibly loving. And whatever else it is that he does in this world, whatever else it is, we're gonna talk about some of the things that he does, whatever else it is that he does to you is he expresses the love of, of, the, of God the Father in a way that can impact your heart to the place that you can feel the love of God. So you can read the Bible and come to understand that the Bible teaches the fact that God loves human beings. You can read that and get that up there. But in order for that truth to migrate the longest distance on the planet, the 15 inches between your cranium and your heart, It takes the Holy Spirit of God doing something that stirs your heart to the place that you come to experience his love. All those times that you have felt God come close. For you, it may have been, while you're singing a song in a worship service, for some of you, I know it's the outdoors for you. You see some spectacular vista and you feel something holy. Guess what? It's the Spirit of God, his person coming in close and ministering the love of God to your heart in a way that just refreshes your spirit. He's loving. He's also tender. And the reason that I think that's worth mentioning is because in a moment, we're gonna talk about how he convinces and convicts us. And I want you to know that when the Holy Spirit comes to you, it's almost always going to be this gentle, tender kind of nudge. Almost always. The Spirit doesn't throw a lot of elbows or forearms. Okay, we we read about Jesus and every one of us makes uh, excuses for our angry outbursts when we read about Jesus in the temple, tipping over the tables and doing all of that. Well, uh, it was Jesus, not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, he usually just comes like a gentle breeze or a still small voice. I like to put it this way. He usually sneaks up on me. He's usually right here before I know. While I'm getting ready to be able to recognize him, he's already slipped in close. He's loving, he's tender. He's also very relational, and he's relational enough that he will at times draw close and at times withdraw a little bit. He he takes seriously your invitation and mine whenever we we invite him to come and do relationship with us. He takes that so seriously. He thinks we actually mean it. That we want a day-to-day, moment-by-moment, all lifetime-long kind of relationship with him. So he attends to us. And when we stiff-arm him, when we neglect him for a while, when we very intentionally ignore him because today I want to do what I want to do, then the spirit many times shrinks back just a little bit and gives us room to experience what life is like without him again. Let's let's that love grow cold for just a little bit. And then he whispers and says, you want to get close again? See, the Spirit courts us, and we can either court or grieve the Spirit because he takes relationship so, so, so seriously. Your invitation, he thought you meant it, and so he comes close. We talked before, you can go back and check out the webcast, uh, podcast rather, and you can look on on firstnaz.com if you want to go back and, and learn about some ways to court him and uh, how to avoid grieving him. But uh, know this about his personality. He's loving, and he's tender, and he's so incredibly relational that he kind of breathes with you. He'll move into and out of closeness, taking your cues for how close you want to be to him. The Holy Spirit's a person, and he's a person of a certain kind, uh, of two kinds that I'm going to talk about this morning. He is a person of purpose, And he's a person of passion. Let's talk about purpose first. There are a handful of things that the Holy Spirit sees as his top jobs in this world. And he absolutely will not be deterred from these things. While you may be able to push him back a little bit as I talked just a moment ago, when it comes to these issues, the Holy Spirit is on his A game and going for it all of the time. These are his priorities. Uh, The first one that we're going to take a look at... uh, we, we can read about in John chapter 16 verses 7 and 8. So if you look at your Bible, mind's open to it, it's about that far in, okay? We get to the New Testament, the, sec- the second, oh, the last third of the Bible or so. It opens with four biographies of Jesus written by four different people with four different perspectives on what he was like. And they, they saw him incredibly alike, but, but in the differences in each of those accounts, we, we learned some incredible things about him. And John knew Jesus very, very well. He uh, He's the one whose, whose book we're, we're going to read right now. From John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. So this is John who knew Jesus well, and Jesus who knew the Holy Spirit well. He says these things. Uh, he, he tells the disciples that he's going to leave them. They didn't like that. He says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. And if I do go away, then I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. We talked a little bit about judgment two weeks ago. If that makes your heart do flip-flops. at one level, it's supposed to, and at another, it's not supposed to make you afraid, but don't have time to re-preach that one. You've got to go back and, and listen if you want to do that. But listen to what he said about the Spirit. He said, when he comes, he will convict the world of its, of its sin. He'll also convict the world of God's righteousness and the judgment that is to come. One of his purposes, one of his chief purposes in this world, the Holy Spirit, is to make sure that you know the reality of your relationship with God. Do you have one or not? Is it close or is it uh, not so close anymore? Is it burning hot or is it stone cold? He's uh, One of his purposes in this life is to also help you get past all of your excuse-making. Hands of all the excuse-makers. Come on. It's every hand, your excuse-maker, a liar. One of the two, okay? Yeah. The Holy Spirit helps us get past all of our excuses. That is, all the things that we've done that are wrong and we know it, that, but we justify so that other people don't think so badly of us and we don't have to think so badly of ourselves either. Well, I know it was wrong, but you don't know what she said to me. I know the law says, but... right, And the Holy Spirit comes in and strips away all of the excuses at some point and is able to convince us of the difference between right and wrong and help us to see very clearly in our own lives and our own actions whether what we are doing is right or wrong. And and that word, convict means that not only does he leave this, does he establish a factual truth of you, Cliff Purcell, have done something wrong, but again, remember what I said earlier? He always moves to the heart. And so he takes that fact, and he impacts my heart in such a way that I feel guilt, and I feel sorrow, and I feel like I need help to deal with me. And that, in turn, motivates me to draw close to him and to the Father he does his job. Are you grateful that the spirit does his job of convincing and convicting the world of sin? Hey, listen, Um, Christian, pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you of your sins and your weaknesses and your failures. Pray that he will do that, that your heart doesn't grow cold and unable to see the wrong in you. Because every time that that the spirit shows something to you that is less than God dreamed for you, he also has a remedy for it. We'll talk about that in just a moment. He's a person of purpose, and among his primary purposes, convincing and convicting the world of sin. Um, another of his, of his high and lofty purposes, way up there on his priority list, is the business of sanctifying people. If you want to read about that, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it'll also appear on the screen. We don't use the word sanctify in any other setting uh, other than, than religion, and so it's probably a word that you're not that familiar with. But sanctify means to make holy or to set apart for sacred holy purposes only. So when we read about the, the establishment of, this, of the religion that's, that's in this book, um, along the way, God had the people make a place of worship. And in that place of worship, he said, we're going to need some furniture, and we're going to need some utensils, and by the way, nobody can borrow them. Now, lots of people who belong to church families have a graduation or a wedding or something like that, and they call Pastor Bill in the church office, and they say, can we borrow tables and chairs? And the answer, as often as we can possibly say yes, is yes, but these are just tables and chairs. They are not sanctified. They have not been set apart for holy purposes. The stuff that was, that was made for the, the temple of God was made for his worship and his worship only, that which was described in the Old Testament. And we said, we set these things apart. They will get used for anything else. The work of the Holy Spirit, we find out in the New Testament, is that he wants to sanctify us. He wants to do something that makes us, in fact, holy on the inside at the level of our hearts to such an extent that we then set ourselves apart for service to God only instead of service to the things of our lower, fleshly, human, sinful nature. And it is not willpower on the part of human beings that will ever move somebody from merely forgiven to sanctified and living in a way that is just like... like, like straight up mirroring the life of Christ. It's never willpower that's going to get you there. It is the power of God's Holy Spirit when you have invited him to come and change you, cleanse you, sanctify you. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Peter, one of Jesus' dear friends, probably the, the only guy closer to Jesus than Peter was maybe John, the guy we just read. Peter, old man now, writes this. He says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. Now listen, and his spirit has made you holy. And as a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He talks about the Holy Spirit doing something, making us holy, and the result of that is that we are then able to live in certain ways obedient and cleansed. Hey, how many times have you laid your head on your pillow at night dealing with the fact that you knew you blew it during the day and you felt ashamed, you felt guilty, you felt like, I, I don't even know if I can ask him to forgive me again. This is the 10,000 millionth time. Yeah, yeah. Listen, the Holy Spirit of God, he, he comes gently, he comes tenderly, and he He generally, when it comes to his sanctifying work, he only comes by invitation. But you can invite his Holy Spirit to come and work in you in such a way that he changes your heart. He'll cleanse your record from your past sins, and he'll change your heart in the moment so that for the future, you're oriented differently toward life. So that you begin to desire to do what is right and holy. And good. You're not going to get there on your own either. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, both the, the convicting and the sanctifying. Uh, John also recorded uh, that Jesus, in teaching about the Holy Spirit, said that the Holy Spirit would help us come to understand some things. So look at John chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. And this is Jesus speaking to the disciples. He's already told them about the Spirit come and convicting us of sin. Then he says, there is so much more that I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He'll bring me glory. He goes on and on to talk about what the Spirit does there. I especially want you to notice that he said that the Spirit will guide you into all truth. It's also interesting that as he says this, he also says, there's a lot of things that I want to tell you, but you're not ready for them. Hey, listen, uh, th- this, this contains a lot of truth. Everybody who reads this regularly goes, man, it doesn't matter how many times I've been through this thing, I seem to keep learning. There's a lot of truth in here. Jesus himself said there's a lot that I would like to teach you but that you're not ready for it right now. So I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to do that. And that Holy Spirit works in conjunction with the scriptures time and time and time again. If you'll keep putting your nose in this book, he will keep uncovering more layers like an onion time and time and time again so that you can learn all of your life long. Now listen, the fact that you are still learning your 13th time reading any passage doesn't mean that your heart's hard, doesn't mean that you're stupid, doesn't mean that you're spiritually dull. It means that the Holy Spirit is faithful and that as you continue to grow and mature, he can help you understand some more things that you probably couldn't have handled a couple of years ago. The simple fact that I can continue to learn and to grow all my life long is a testimony to the faithfulness of God's Holy Spirit that there's a little more truth and he's going to lead me into it. And over the course of my lifetime, I can count on him to lead me into all of the truth that I need in order to have a healthy, holy relationship with God that keeps me connected with him for all of this life and all of eternity. You can count on the Spirit to lead you into all truth. You want to learn some more? Yeah, read some more. But before you ever open this book, ask God's Holy Spirit to open your heart, and the truth from here will come pouring into it. He's a person of purpose. He wants to convince and convict us of sin. He wants to, he wants to sanctify us, to, to make us holy on the inside and set us apart for, for his way of living. And uh, he also wants to lead us into all truth, but he also has another very, very high priority. And it, it, we learn about it from the name that Jesus used in the passage that we read earlier. John 16, verse 7, he says, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. How many of you, were, were, that word advocate has, um, is a different word in your copy of the Bible? Okay, how many of you have some sort of asterisk or footnote next to it? Okay, you can look close, yeah, some of you just bad eyesight, you can't see the asterisk, it's there, okay? Um, the, tr- uh, translation committees always have a hard time translating this word because it's a, it's a lot of meaning packed into one short little word. A lot of the older English translations used to use the word comforter, but modern translation committees don't use that word because we think of it of, of comforter as something little more than, aw, they're there. The Spirit of God definitely comes to comfort us in the sense of when my heart is distressed, to say, easy boy, easy, I gotcha. But this word picture is incredible and I I hate to to be the guy who's trying to prove himself as a preacher by saying I know a bunch of Greek. I don't intend that today but this word you got to get. The Greek one's really important. The Greek that the the New Testament was originally written in. It says that if I don't go away then the paraclete won't come. The parakalete will not come. And it's from two Greek words para meaning alongside and klete meaning the the one who's going to be called and come alongside, okay, the one who comes alongside, Now, get this, you, you got to get this, Laura, I, I need to use you for, for a little illustration today, and I forgot to brief you, as evidenced by the fact that you're sitting on the front row, because <laughs> if I told her, she would have been in the nursery today, come up here, yep, sorry, babe, yeah, go, Laura, ladies and gentlemen, Laura. How about for the Facebook audience, you join me over here? It's only, it's only a few hundred more, okay? Uh, so this is Laura, and because Laura is married to Cliff and has children and lives in this world, she has heavy loads to bear. She has heavy loads to bear, yeah. And by the way, in this illustration, you'll be playing Laura, and I'll be playing God. So... <laughs> Playing, just playing. I'm the Holy Spirit. Laura has heavy loads to bear, and they are, from Cliff and from the kids and from her job and from well, the broken systems of this world, right? And, and if we left Laura up here the whole, the whole sermon long, we could leave her like this. We wouldn't even have to put anything in her hands, and before long, her arms would get tired and her back would start hurting, right? You know this. But let's say there's a big heavy load. On there because over time that's the way it goes. And if Laura is left on her own, she begins to knot up and cramp up and hurt or give up. Paracalete, the paraclete, is the one who comes alongside in the sense of this gets an arm around her to to let her know he's here and to steady her, gets an arm under here to help lift the load. She still has to do the walking. But the paraclete has come alongside, comforted, strengthened, and helped. Jesus said, get this, it's better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go, the paraclete will not come. But if I go, he's on it. He's here. He's present. My friends, what is it that you need? His help bearing. What is the thing that is breaking your back? What is the thing that's led you to the place where you go? I hope this is the the last one more thing. The Spirit of God come; it it is ready to come today to help you with your thing. But he doesn't barge in. Remember, he gets invited. He's a person of purpose. He'll convince and convict the world of its sin. He will sanctify those who invite him to come and change him and set themselves apart for for his purposes. He'll lead us into all truth. He'll turn the lights on for you. Spiritual confusion will, will slowly dissipate in your life if you attend to him and ask for him to shine light into your life. And then he will come and help you to bear your burden. Sometimes he'll take them away completely. There have been times in my life when I was under the load, praying for somebody or about something, and the Spirit has actually come to me and said, now let go. Don't mention it again. I've got it. And I'm able to get up from my my place of prayer, let out a deep sigh, and go on with my life, because he has taken care of it, and he has taken care of me. The Holy Spirit's a person, and he's a person of purpose, but he's also a person of passion, okay? The Holy Spirit is hard to read about, because when you read, you start learning facts, and the Holy Spirit does not want to be reduced to a resume. The Spirit of God is a person who is lit on fire with the holy passion of heaven, and he will not allow this world to extinguish that. You start pouring water on the, on the heat of heaven, the Holy Spirit may step out from under that and go away. The, the, Paul talked about that as quenching the Spirit, like you quench a fire. But the Holy Spirit is going to go burn somewhere else because it's what he does. He is a person of passion. And you will see it most clearly in the way that he, that he telegraphs the love of God to you and then does something to your heart Where you begin to love people the same way. Hands of all the people who have uh, had a difficult person in their life, but you started praying, God, help me to love them. And you saw him change you. Yeah, boy, absolutely. Hey, listen, pray that about everybody, because everybody's hard to love. I mean, the church and the human race just knuckleheads unanimous, and I'm the president. So are you, right? Hard to love. But God loves out of his perfect and loving and holy nature, and the Spirit will come and communicate that to you in ways that you can feel. But he will not do that without you reciprocating to someone else. That love that he pours out in your heart, you are supposed to enjoy And then allow that to to cause something fertile to happen in your heart and spirit where you then begin to love other people, including those that it would seem are too hard to love. And you, with the Holy Spirit working in you, also become a person of passion, of holy love. His passion is seen in his love. He, 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 He helps you experience God's love and he stirs up love within you. Um you'll also see it um, in his zeal for spiritual things, if you start drawing close to the Spirit, if you start courting His presence, you will find that He is wanting to talk to you all the time about all kinds of things. You'll begin to uh, to have a, a spirit of discernment about you, where you suddenly realize spiritual things in the middle of seemingly ordinary conversations. You're sitting at football games, you're doing your work, you're reading the newspaper, and all of a sudden, you just have this spiritual sense about you, and some some. Spiritual spiritual insight, or understanding. The Holy Spirit passionately is zealous about spiritual things, and he wants to stir up that same thing in you. The Holy Spirit is not content to say, let me do all the heavy lifting of spirituality, and you can just be slow and dull, and I'll take care of you. Aw, No, the Holy Spirit is helping us to become like Jesus in our character and like himself, the Holy Spirit, when it comes to zeal and passion. The Holy Spirit is not a wet blanket. He's on fire all of the time. John Wesley, one of our forebears in the faith, said to his young pastors, catch fire and people will come for miles to watch you burn. That is true not just for pastors, for preachers, for every person who courts the Spirit of God. He's a person of passion. He loves and stirs up love. He is zealous about spiritual things and will stir up that same zeal in you. And he is also committed to seeing the great commission that Jesus gave to his church right before he ascended into heaven. He is committed to seeing that great commission fulfilled. The Holy Spirit is going to beat, has already beat, the work and witness team to Ecuador. He's there, isn't he, Paul and Alyssa? He's been there for a long time because he is passionate about the people of Ecuador. That they come to know him, that they be convicted of their sin, that they be sanctified and made holy, that they be led into the truth so that they have great understanding and spiritual power. And then he will come alongside when their power fails and bear their burdens for them. But the Spirit is absolutely committed to the great commission, to the business of going and taking the gospel to the far ends of the earth and making disciples of every man, woman, teen, and child who will dare to listen. He is absolutely invested in this. And guess what? Just like his love and just like his spiritual zeal, he does not intend to keep it to himself. He intends to stir that up in you and me. Whether you're going to Ecuador or Clarkston, whether you are going to work or to home or to some malarial swamp in Africa, the Spirit intends... to to do something in your life that that not only lights a holy zeal in you, but a uh, a, a steely determination that you too will be at work fulfilling the great commission, making disciples of people wherever you go, in your home, in your workplace, at school, on distant shores. Holy Spirit, person, not some impersonal force. You you can know his name. You can know him. He he said he'll come and live in us. Jesus said, it's better. You know, it's better than me being with you, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit being in you. Just know that when he comes, he's going to do some cleansing work. He's going to do some changing work. He's going to do some helping work. And then, You can't stand close to the fire and not catch flame. He intends to light us on fire in the same way that he is. As we close today, I wonder which of his purposes or passions did he speak to you about today? I I don't know. I didn't number them, so I don't know how many of them I had there. Um, My guess is you can't remember them all anyway, but I'll bet he tapped you on the shoulder about one. Whatever it is that he spoke to you about today, that one that you uh, asterisked or checkmarked or underlined, the one that you've been thinking about and not listening to the rest of the sermon because he spoke to you, why don't you just today take that thing before him and say, and? And just see what he tells you afterwards. Why don't you just confess, I heard. I think I heard you. Were you talking to me about this and what would you like Spirit of God and I'll tell you if he if he has a a purpose he won't stutter when he tells you what's next if he has a passion that he wants to light on fire in you he will get right on it and there will be no confusion why don't you stand with me and let's pray Lord I wonder how many times when we pray and we say, Lord, we're meaning just you, Father. And how many times we're meaning just you, Jesus. And how rarely we're actually talking to you, Spirit. Well, we're talking to you now. You're welcome here. And apparently you picked up on that because we are sensing your closeness. Whatever it is that you're speaking about to your people today, Lord, we're just gonna go ahead and say the yes of obedience ahead of time because we can count on your power and your help. But we need you to kind of fill in the blank for us. So we're just gonna take a moment and be silent before you.